Warning, this podcast may be disturbing to some listeners. Due to the graphic nature, listener discretion is advised. Welcome from wherever you are. This is The Demon Inside with your host, John Venom. If you want to review a different episode of The Demon Inside, you can find them on Spotify or Anchor. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. A new episode will come out every Monday. And now, to our show. We'll be right back after these messages from our sponsors. And welcome back to the Demon Inside. When I was young, when I was like, like five, six, uh, I, I opened the curtains and outside the window there was a monster, big hairy monster. <laughs> Hello, my Demon Insiders, and welcome back to the Demon Inside. Today we are doing part two of the Demon Inside, Richard Ramirez. So last week we talked about how Richard wanted to be a soldier for Satan. And, of course, I was talking about whether or not a demon was inside of him. So what we're going to talk about today is all the little marks that I can see of either a demon inside of him or him trying to please Satan himself and maybe at the end of this maybe we'll find out that he had both neighbors in El Paso do not recall anything unusual about Ramirez's personality I don't remember him as being a problem child he was very nice he was an ordinary kid just like the rest of us we went to school minded our manners uh, did what we had to do but uh, no different than the rest of us he was friendly and he was nice and and he was so funny. He was so funny. He would always have me laughing. We used to play this game called Kick the Can and he was the fastest runner so we always wanted to be on his team. If we wanted to take a shortcut to school we had to cut through this really tough neighborhood and he always used to wait for me sitting on a little pony wall and then he would walk me to school it was always safer you know, to be in twos I guess so for me this was the innocent Richard Ramirez before he started to invoke Satanism before he started to go against his parents this was Richard Ramirez social being a normal kid he had no trademarks of a serial killer at the time. Most of these occurrences that he had, they're trying to say it was either due to the injuries to his head, which he had too when he was younger, as I explained last week. Or was it a little bit deeper than that? For me, he was going against his parents, who were very Catholic uh, in faith, very Catholic, 
and um, they were just trying to do their best. But for Richard being beaten by his father and not being saved by his mother, he was very afraid of his father. So afraid, like I said, he used to go out and sleep in the graveyards. The only grown-up at that time that Richard actually trusted was his cousin Mike, who I talked about last week. He's a special forces, uh, special forces army guy who killed and raped a lot of women in the Vietnam War and took Polaroids. And he would show Richard all these Polaroids of these women that he had done this to. Richard would love to see those photos too. I didn't mind seeing all that boring violence. This obviously changed Richard for the worse, and his classmates started seeing that as well, as this interview talks about. He used to sit in back of me in uh, fifth grade, and um, I remember that he would poke me in the back, and every time he would poke me, I would jump up. And so that time that he kept poking me and poking me, I turned around very upset and I said, hey, you know, stop, stop, stop. And uh, I remember him like slumping over and then uh, um, just hitting the floor on the side. He would have seizures, you know, he would be shaking. You know, we knew he was sick. I did not notice anything strange of him until we were in high school and uh, he was no longer part of my clique kind of thing. Uh, that's when I noticed it, that he was different and he had changed. Didn't no longer say hello, that kind of thing. Uh, I noticed that he would hang out with boys that did drugs. So seeing these pictures uh, being so young, it left a very big impression on Richard. And then came the day that Richard's cousin killed his own wife in front of Richard and his two kids. This is a first account of what happened to Jesse that day and everything that happened afterwards. This is from one of the police officers that arrested um, Richard Ramirez, and this is what he told them. Now he's about 14. And he's in Mike's house one day. And Mike had two boys there, two sons, four and six. He's married to a woman named Jessie, a particularly attractive redhead. Jessie came home carrying packages about four in the morning, uh, afternoon. And as soon as she walked in the door, she started berating Mike for not working, for not getting a job. Stop smoking pot. When the hell are you going to go to work? Etc. Now, in reality, Mike should have more than likely been in a psychiatric home. Right. But he wasn't. And he said to her, you don't shut up, I'll kill you. And she got Oh, oh yeah, Mr. Big Shot, you gonna kill me? He's so tough. And he quietly got up. Richard is sitting there. 
went to the refrigerator, opened the freezer, and took out a 38 Smith & Wesson. He kept the gun in there because he liked to keep it cool, he told Richard. He walked two steps to his wife and shot her square in the forehead. A finger of blood squirted from the wound as she went down. She was dead before she hit the ground. And there she lied with blood squirting out of her head. Incredible. And this is what Richard saw. And sure. it gets worse. Because Mike said, look, Richie, go, go. Don't tell anybody that you saw this. You never saw this. And Richard left dumbfounded. And he walked home dumbfounded. And he never told anybody, just like Mike told him. And until I got involved, many years later, his family didn't even know he was there that day. Mike called the police. He was arrested, sent to a psychiatric hospital in Texas, stayed there four years, and he, he was released. And uh, when, by the time he got out, Richard was 18, and Richard saw something. He saw that you can get away with murder, literally. If he didn't consciously think about it that way, it certainly affected his subconscious. You can kill and it's okay. His father trying to bond, I guess, with Richard at the time, or maybe it was just, hey, come help me, took Richard back to the apartment where Jesse had been killed, and the body was gone, but the blood was still there. And Richard got a little turned on off of this. And his dad asked him to go through Jesse's purse to find the missing jewelry. And this is what he felt when he was doing that. It struck me that she was dead, you know, because I knew her pretty good. Death had a very profound effect on me when I saw it. This death touched Richard in a way that he never expected. And that combined with the photographs that Mike would show him at that age during puberty. So for me, uh, a lot of it was a sexual thing that he wanted. There are people that watch porn to get um, satisfaction. And sometimes what happens with certain types of people is that they'll start watching the same kind of porn and they get bored. So they escalate the porn into bigger categories, different categories. They start watching BDSM stuff and, you know, harder and harder stuff to get them turned on. Well, Richard watching those, pol or looking at the Polaroids, he started from not A, B, C, he started all the way from Z. And that's what he wanted. Also that sexual drive and drugs. Those were a big component in Richard's life. Started off with drinking and weed with his cousin Mike. And eventually he started doing marijuana, PCP, 
uh, cocaine. As a matter of fact, cocaine was his favorite. I'd like to know your feelings about uh, what they call the devil's dander, cocaine. I love it. <laughs> Some nights when he would go out to kill, he would do cocaine and listen to a song by ACDC, uh, The Night Prowler. And this fueled him to go do the things that he did. And Richard had a strong, very sexual drive that couldn't be satisfied. He even says that the only way he could be satisfied is if he would kill. We will be right back after a word from our sponsors. And welcome back to The Demon Inside. For some minutes, the very act of killing another human being that is sexual, bloodlust, I guess you could say. Killing for him was a better high than anything he had ever done, including cocaine. And that's what he wanted. We are all evil in some form or another. Are we not? I was in alliance with the evil that is inherent to human nature. And that was who I was. Walking Dead. Richard called himself the Walking Death, and this was what he thought he was. And he talks a lot about that he did all this for Satan and the bloodlust. The bloodlust for him was the more blood, the better. That's how his crime scenes were. And, you know, forgive me for saying, but the bloodier, the better, and he would get off on that. He loved it so much that he started marking his kills. He started putting pentagrams. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, any demon that would kill anybody wouldn't mark their pentagram anywhere because they don't want people to believe that they exist. Richard, on the other hand, he wanted people knowing that he existed. He was some somebody. He was a soldier for Satan. I don't believe that he was possessed, but I do believe that there were demons there watching him, and he was showing them what a loyal soldier he was and how despicable he could be. Satan is a stabilizing force in my life. It gives me a reason to be an excuse to rationalize. So after he would start killing people, uh, eventually he started to tell people that he was the night stalker and he would make them pray to Satan. He said, I will let you live if you pray to Satan, if you acknowledge Satan. And so Richard Ramirez wholeheartedly believed that Satan was there, even though in an interview one time he said that it's harder to believe in Satan Satan than it is in God because there's more proof that God is there, that God is real. The more that people started 
uh, looking into Richard Ramirez as the killer and when they would go visit him in prisons and things like that, they said you could feel the evil persona in him. You could feel that evilness just there at being present wherever he was at. There was a one of the police officers that caught him actually went and talked to him. And he was interviewing him and told him that, uh, you know, he asked him, why do you do these things? And of course, Richard wouldn't say, but Richard said, why do you think I am the way I am? And the officer said, I don't know. And so the officer was trying to get him to talk. So he started talking about Richard's sister. And it got Richard very peeved. He was very upset. And so Richard clutched both hands and picked up his fist like he was going to fight, not high, you know, just a little bit off the table. And he started breathing heavy. And that reminded me of when he was breathing heavy of the last episode we did, not the Richard Ramirez case, but... Addis, the Addis case, the Jackie Addis case, she was breathing heavy when she was doing her interview. So for me, maybe that when a demon is inside of you, you know, you have that lack of oxygen, maybe you are breathing weirdly. But anyway, the uh, investigator got kind of scared because he thought, if this guy starts floating in the air, he goes, I'm out of here. So even the officer, you know, being of sound mind and everything, thought maybe it's a possibility that Richard was a demon. And who knows, maybe they made him an honorary demon, or maybe they just, you know, he was just that evil. So I believe that... Richard Ramirez had very bad influences, not just in life, you know, with his father's anger, his uh, cousin Miguel, Mike, uh, the people he hung out with. Hell, even his brother-in-law was a peeping Tom, if you look it up. And his older brother used to break into houses, and both of them used to take Richard with them. So even in his life, People that didn't mean to do harm to him actually set him up for him to be the way he was. You know, even the good trying to teach him religion actually flipped it and he ended up going towards Satanism because he felt like he was a part of Satanism because he was doing wrong and he wasn't being judged. I do believe that there were demons in the rooms when Richard was killing. I don't believe that there were any demons inside of him. I think this was all his personal choice. And how horrific for a person, especially that comes from a religious family, to be one of the worst serial killers that there is. 
And think about this. Most serial killers say they can't remember or they keep shit to themselves. Richard bragged. Richard loved it. Richard wanted the attention. Richard wanted people to know that he was the night stalker. He told people that he was killing when he let them go that tell them the night stalker was here. Now, if you'll indulge me for a minute, I just wanted to tell you, because I know that on this we've been talking about evil and we've been talking about Richard Ramirez and his faith in Satanism. And throughout all this, you got to kind of wonder where was God in this whole situation? Well, let me tell you about one of Richard's last victims. Now, this victim actually survived. Uh, Richard broke into her house, saw her laying asleep, knew if he used his gun to shoot her, he was going to make too much noise. So he goes back out to the car, grabs a crowbar, and comes back in. He hits her over the head. And then he decides that he's going to strangle her with the telephone cord. So as Richard puts the cord around her neck, he starts squeezing. He notices that there's electricity popping off from the cord. And then all of a sudden, there's a blue aura around her. Like a very bright blue aura around her. And he freaks out. He believes that God is there, that Jesus Christ is protecting this person. And he ends up letting go because he thinks that there's a purpose that God wants this person to be alive. And he can't, still cannot go against God like that. So for a person that's into Satan and believes in Satan and demons, he saw, or what he thought he saw, was the face of God, or the hand of God, or the aura of God. Whatever it was, it scared the crap out of him to the point where he dropped the cord and ran off, and she survived. So for all those people out there that think that demons and angels don't exist, just listen to Richard Ramirez's story. He'll tell you straight out. He saw them both. He saw the devil and he saw God. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. Don't forget to subscribe to The Demon Inside on Spotify, Anchor, or any other podcast directory or through our website, anchor.fm backslash The Demon Inside. A new episode of The Demon Inside comes out each Monday. Let us know what you think and join the conversation on our Demon Inside Facebook page and on Instagram. We thank you for listening and hope you'll join me next Monday for a new Demon Inside. If you enjoyed this episode, tell your friends. I'm John Venom. We'll see you next time, if I don't get possessed. The Demon Inside was created and written by James Porter. It's a production of Venomous Entertainment. Theme music, Demon Inside, 
is on the album Conjure One by Reese Fulber. Background music was created by Lucas Key.